What's going on, everybody? We are back with another episode of the Around the Rotunda podcast, and you're here with your host, Austin Deer, and my buddy, Hunter Simons. Hunter, it's a, it's a great time to be a UVA fan right now. We're uh, 2-0 to start the season with very convincing wins against uh, the tribe of William and Mary and uh, Power 5 opponent, uh, Illinois. So, how are you feeling, man? I mean, I know I know you didn't get to go to the first two games, but uh, I'm sure, you know, you've seen the highlights. You've seen you know, all the talk about how explosive this offense is. The defense is overperforming. What are your what are your kind of thoughts right now uh, after you've got the two games? First off, it's it's great to be back on the pod, man. Definitely happy to you know get to talk some UVA football. Um, I'm ecstatic. I got to watch the Illinois game live from my honeymoon. And then I got to re-watch, or I guess uh, watch back the William & Mary game the day after my wedding as well. So fully caught up. I've probably watched the condensed game on YouTube for each one a couple of times already. So I uh, feel like I haven't really got to miss a beat too much on what happened on the field. But obviously, um, you know, missed being there at the stadium, but obviously it was gone for a great reason. Um, but looking forward to the chance to, to get down to Chapel Hill this weekend and get to see them in person. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, obviously, congratulations again to, to you and Rachel. I know I speak for myself and all the all the UVA community that were you know, very excited for you and, and y'all's wish y'all nothing but uh, but happiness going forward in your lives. Um, so looking looking back at the last two games, um, obviously, UVA had two very uh, convincing wins um, starting off the season with a shutout uh, against William and Mary uh, 43 to nothing. I think probably the most impressive thing in this game was the defense. And how it really, uh, really stuck, stepped up to the task with the slow start that the offense got um, got out to. So seeing uh, seeing the way that they played and uh, kind of what I wouldn't say the secondary was tested too much, but I, I think we definitely saw spurts of how that we can maybe expect them to perform this year, especially on uh, in the trenches. So um, you know, I think it was a good uh, good first start. Kind of, is there anything anything that you saw from that game that? you know, you wanted to point out? Yeah, the defense was the first thing that stood out to me, like from the very first possession that William & Mary had. Um, just the the speed and the urgency at which we, like, attacked the ball carrier and really just, you know, gobbled up any any players that were out in open space. Um, you know, you see – you commonly saw four or five guys there to make the play, um, you know, over the first several series. So I think that was exciting. It reminded me a lot of what – you know, we saw back in 2019 when you and I went to the Pittsburgh game opening season, I think we were super pumped with what we saw from the defense that time. And it was good to, you know, get that sort of feeling back. Um, I feel like we hadn't really felt that way um, much last season and at the tail end of 2019. Um, so it's been good to see um, that energy back and that swagger back. And you can see the confidence in the secondary as well. Um, and, uh, you know, I think you can clearly see that the staff has focused in on areas that needed improvement um, from the prior season and have made adjustments there, whether it's personnel related or schematically. Um, and, and I think that's, you know, so far it's bearing fruit, you know, we're, we're really seeing a difference. Um, and, you know, I think this week will be a really great test to see just how much it's improved going up against a quarterback that's basically had two career days against us over the past two seasons. Sure, sure. No, I, I couldn't agree with you more. And, um, you know, speaking of, of quarterbacks with career days, uh, it's worth noting uh, in the following week against the uh, Illinois Fighting Illini when they came to town. And uh, 
all the talk about the defense and, you know, hoping that the offense would maybe have a reverse kind of start from what they did at William & Mary. And they came out swinging, putting up 14 points in the first five minutes of the game. And what really started off with an impressive uh, drive from Brennan and that capped off with a, with a touchdown from uh, Jelani Woods, uh, somebody that we were really looking forward to uh, seeing what they were capable of uh, this, this year. And Jelani really, uh, I think, I mean, as, as impressive of a day that Brennan had, we kind of knew what Brennan was capable of. He showed what he was, what we've always known about him and what his capabilities were. And I think we're really seeing his discipline um, in the field and his ability, his ability to be a true field general for this offense. Um, but I think, I think Jelani Woods was probably the most impressive person to me in this game, just from his sheer ability and size. Um, he, I, you know, bowl over like three guys that literally couldn't bring him to the ground and he pile into the end zone. And I mean, that's just uh, a, a tight end of that size is going to cause, you know, horrible matchups for, uh, for smaller guys in the secondary. And, you know, I, I was extremely re- impressed to see to see him uh, put up a performance the way he did and what, especially what he's going to be able to do going forward. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Um, I think we got to see exactly what we've been hearing about in the offseason and what you and I got to see in person um, in the spring is just a, you know, he's a physical freak. Zero people can guard him. Um, and he's, you know, actually proven it when he can stay in the game and not get cramps like he did against William Mary. Um <laughs> I do know, like, back in our preseason prediction podcast, I think I had said I thought that this would sort of be the Dontavian Wicks coming out party as well. And, you know, while he maybe didn't light up the stats department, he still got, you know, two touchdowns on three catches. And on his first touchdown, he absolutely cooked that dude. I, I think yeah, that we, we might need to go to Scott Stadium and take a look and make sure that dude's ankles aren't planted into the switch <laughs> because he got sent for a hot dog. No, I couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more. It was definitely, definitely uh, very notable. Um, to, and I'm glad, I'm glad that you brought that up. But uh, for anybody who didn't see what Brennan's final stat line was, uh, he was 27 for 36 at 405 yards. I was very happy to see them continue to air the ball out um, in the fourth quarter to get him that for, get him over that 400 mark. And he capped it off with five touchdowns. He did have one interception there, but I'm going to be honest with you. I'm going to kind of blame that one on Keaton because he just straight up had the ball ripped right out of his hands by the, uh, by the defender. Yeah. So I'm, I'm hardly going to count that as a blemish on Brennan. Could the ball maybe been let in a little bit more? Yeah, probably, but it was still a catchable ball. And honestly, kudos to the defender. He just made an incredible play. So yeah. at the end, at the end of the game, sweating it too much it still was a uh, a career day for brennan and he got a helmet sticker on espn uh multiple qb of the honors people are i think finally starting to realize what uva fans have known all along that if brennan stays healthy and plays to his capabilities that we have a serious star in the making i think and you know i'm i'm obviously you know i, I don't want to jump the gun too much because it is still william mary in illinois that he played against who are two going to be two two bodies in their conferences but just to see him show the discipline that he has the playmaking ability and just the I don't know the it seems like he has a much better ability to see the field he's making crisp passes everything's on just everything everything looks so much different than last year he's playing with confidence and I think that's so huge for him going forward to have a huge a big day like he did against Illinois going into this massive road game against North Carolina, which could ultimately maybe decide the ACC. Yeah, you know, for sure. It's it's definitely a big matchup. And I think 
we had expected it to be in preseason, but it's really, you know, I think the implications are really high at this point, just given that North Carolina had a little shaky start, lost their first game against Virginia Tech. They're going to want to come out and make sure that they don't get, you know, two losses in their first two ACC games to the schools that they smack talked all summer long about taking over their state. Um, how embarrassing would that be for them? Um, this is the one time I might be like, I'm not cheering for Virginia Tech, but I'll just say I'm not exactly mad that they won that first game, just given the fact that North Carolina has been talking so much smack all off season. Um, but yeah, man, I think Brennan is really coming into form. I think we saw glimpses of it all last season. It just was a matter of consistency and seeing it, you know, first quarter through fourth quarter within a game rather than just drive by drive, having a little bit of inconsistency. Um, I think we all kind of understood that when he actually stands in there and, you know, practices the right mechanics, you know, doesn't throw off his back foot, doesn't like try to overextend and make plays happen that aren't there. He's, he's really a, a great quarterback and he's able to deliver the ball on time to the right person. And I think one of the biggest things you see this year is he, he's, his ability to actually um, get through his progressions and not really just panic as soon as his first or second option isn't there. He's able to step into the pocket and actually make a throw to the, his third or fourth read, um, which I think is something last year that he might have lacked. He might have decided to run or, or try to force the ball into a really tight area. Um, so I think you're just seeing the evolution of a really great player that, you know, again, not to jump the gun, but Marcus Hagens did say in preseason, and I know you brought it up, is that with this talent at receiver and, and at tight end, you know, he has the weapons to make him the most, you know, prolific passer in UVA history. And I think, you know, games like that on Saturday and even in the William & Mary game uh, give you confidence that that's actually something that's achievable in his time here. Exactly, exactly. So kind of looking back after those two games, it's kind of kind of looking to kind of maybe who the stars have been so far and who kind of has under, maybe underperformed up to this point. Um, on Starting off with the offensive side of the ball, obviously, you know, just like we just talked about, Brennan has been a star. His stat line really speaks for itself. He's 48 for 67 over two games. That's a 71% completion percentage. That's extremely impressive. Um, he's thrown for 744 yards, seven touchdowns, and obviously has the one interception. But overall, um, an extremely impressive stat line from Brennan. Um, and then moving on to uh, Keaton Thompson, I think we're starting to really see his versatility and what he's able to do. Um, probably the most impressive thing that I've seen from him up to this point was a, a touchdown run that he had against Illinois where he pretty much bodied a, def- a defender and, uh, and dragged them into the end zone with him um, on a, on a handoff to him. So uh, that's definitely something that uh, I was really impressed with given, like, I didn't really think that he had that much physicality. Like I knew he was, I knew he was a bulldog and, um, you know, really wasn't, and wasn't afraid to take a hit. Just the, the sheer power that he showed on that run was pretty impressive. Um, and then he's also added he's added 10 receptions for 134 yards up to this point. Um, I don't think he's the leading receiver, but as far as like receptions goes, he's right up there. Um, and then Dontavian Wiggs, somebody that you mentioned, uh, really had a great day against Illinois, even though he had three receptions. It was only three receptions. The receptions that he get that he's getting are important ones. Um, he added two touchdowns on the day. Um, he's, he's only racked in seven receptions, but he has 163 yards on those seven receptions. That's 23 yards per catch, which I think is just a, a compliment to the explosive ability that we've seen with him and kind of what we've expected from him all along. Um, and then obviously Jelani Woods, um, obviously we didn't get to really see too much from him 
uh, in the William and Mary game. But I definitely, uh, from what we saw from Illinois, I think he's going to continue to be a star in this offense because his his matchups are are an issue. Um, and then pass protection, I think, was something that uh, that's really stood out to me. I think something that we expected out of this offensive line. Brennan was only sacked one time between the two games, so uh, seeing seeing that uh, out of the offensive line and, and their uh, and their performance has uh, definitely been been, I guess, uh, commemorative. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think it's it's sort of what we've come to expect with the offensive line, especially in the pass protection department. Um, so, you know, it's, it's, it's a really nice luxury to have for us, for sure. And then, you know, it's cool to see so many guys popping up. You know, I know we highlighted a couple of stars there, but, you know, you can even extend it further. And, you know, several other guys have made really big plays and have popped up here and there. So, in addition to getting to see who's shining right now, it's really cool to see some of the guys for the future as well, like Demique Starling, you know, who's made a really big play already this season. And obviously like Rashawn Henry is another player that is contributing. He might not be putting up like record breaking stats, but he's doing his part in an offense. And if I'm being honest, like I feel like he's got room to grow even further um, and he's already contributing at a pretty high level. So um, plenty of options for Brennan. It makes it a nightmare for the defense, defensive head coaches of the other, or sorry, the defensive coordinators of the other teams um, to have to game plan around, just given the fact that, um, you know, on any given play, all of these guys that are out on the field are true weapons that they have to account for and respect. Um, otherwise, they're going to torch them. So, uh, you know, Anai's got a lot of chess pieces to play around with this season, that's for sure. Yes, he does. Yes, he does. And, you know, speaking of an eye, that can be a little bit concerning at times. So, you know, just <laughs> kind of looking at, at underperformance, underperformances, it's really it's really hard to, to put it, put this into um, into perspective just because of how dominant both the offense and the defense was. But there are some things that, you know, you can look at on the on both sides of the ball that definitely maybe didn't impress as much um, for me, especially uh, it's the running game. Um, I was definitely expecting a lot more out of it, considering how much they had talked about. They wanted to put more emphasis on it this year. And while we have ran for, I think almost pro I think, I think we're averaging about 160 some yards on the ground per game. Um, the QBs are accounting for more rushing attempts than the running backs, which is not what I wanted to, I guess, as a fan, and somebody who I guess is really takes the like really wants to analyze Virginia football and kind of what the coaching staff's trying to do. That that's not really um in terms of establishing the run game. I wanted to show I wanted them to show that this running back room was deep and that they can really carry the load on the ground. Instead I'm seeing people like like Ira Armstead and Jacob Rodriguez in the game and getting carries. And that's not saying that that's a bad thing, but the amount of carries that they're getting is taking over the fact of, you know, taking carries away from guys like Devin Darrington and Mike Hollins, who in their few snaps that they've gotten have shown an incredible display of explosive ability. And so I I don't, I don't really, I don't really understand it. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. And even when we are running the football, I feel like the run blocking um, out of the O line has been kind of subpar. Um, I, I feel like just out of, just from the competitors, from the the teams that we were playing, I understand Illinois is going to try and win a game in the trenches. That is, that's how that coach, that's how that coach goes, um, tries to run, run his team. And so I'll give them a little bit of benefit of doubt for that. 
But regardless, Illinois is a bottom tier Big Ten team. William and Mary, really no excuse. They should have pushed them around more than they did, in my opinion. Um, I think we were, I think we really only averaged just over five yards a carry. I think it should have been closer to seven, in my opinion. So, yeah, it's, yeah I mean, it's, 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 yeah, it's, it's it, I don't know. It was a little bit of a concerning point for me, and I'm, I'm hoping that it'll improve going forward. Yeah, I think it's it's a little tough to really grade out the offensive line in this regard just because I feel like when we have run the ball, a lot of the time it's been in really obvious running situations. Um, and we've been running Wayne and, you know, getting that classic two yards in cloud of dust that he's able to produce. Um, he never really gets any negative yardage carries, but he never really hits any anything more than four or five yards, uh, at least on a consistent basis. You know, occasionally, occasionally he'll pop a 10 or 15-yard run and, I think he's good for that. And I think I want to see him get the run the ball a little bit more. Um, you know, I, I agree. Like we've gotten a little too cute with the quarterbacks. Um, I think I totally appreciate the, the fact that they're trying to get these athletes on the field and they don't want guys sitting on the bench and getting sour about not playing when they are like clearly a good football player, but you know, don't get in your own way. Like you see how well this offense is running when it's at peak efficiency and we're running a standard set offense with, you know, the proper amount of FBP plays, you know, sprinkled in with, with Keaton and, you know, even, even Ira and, and, and Jacob, like I'm, I'm happy to see them on the field, but used correctly and not in a way where it's just so obvious when we sub that package in that, like, we're going to run a, a handful of plays out of that set that the defense is prepared for um, better teams down the line in the ACC with better coaches are going to have, you know, their teams ready to defend that. Um, so I just think it's, it's something if it's not working in game one against William and Mary, when they don't have film on it, it's sure as heck not going to work at Miami in October. Um, they're going to be prepared to, to play against that. So um, I agree with you. I think it's something that, you know, his play calling can be more consistent who knows, maybe he's playing mind games with the other teams down the road and trying to put stuff on film. But I think anyone that's immediately coming on saying that has given him maybe just a little bit too much benefit of the doubt. At the same time, our offense is probably operating as, as well as it ever has on, under Bronco Mendenhall and with Anaya as the coordinator. So maybe he's earned a little bit more of our leeway. But at the same time, I mean, who are we as Virginia fans if we're not complaining about our offensive coordinator at least a little bit? No, I couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more. And so, I mean, that pretty much led into my other underperformer, just the Robert and I is play calling from time to time, which is it's it's ridiculous. I mean, because we've put up 42 and 43 points in both of our games. I mean, what I mean, I, I feel like there are so many teams that would kill to be able to put up points, uh, points at, at that much. You know, so, you know, it kind of really makes you wonder. It's like, OK, really, should I should I be complaining or should I not be? But, you know, even you talk to the players and they say, you know, we've left a lot of we've left a lot of points out up there on the, you know, out there on the field. And, you know, I, I seriously think that both of these games, we could have scored at least 50 points. And like, I mean, it, and it's not even like William and Mary, I seriously believe we could have put up close to 60. Um, and, I think we could have against Illinois. I really yeah, feel like we could have got to 60 if we really, really wanted to. Yeah. And it's like, it's almost like they took a look at the spread and was like, oh, hold up a second. We need to take, we need to pump the brakes on this. It's like Vegas was talking to Robert and I in the middle of that game, especially because when we, when, uh, you know, we score on the first two drives of the game and we have 14 points with five minutes, with five minutes into the first quarter. And then it's like everything changed. And I'm like, what are we doing? It's like, it doesn't yeah. make any sense. And it was so, very obvious. Like it doesn't take a rocket scientist to see 
the drive that things began to stall out is when we started running the plays with Ira. Like that was exactly when it happened. You know, it, it ruined our rhythm, it ruined the flow. It took us some time and it gave Illinois a glimmer of hope. Like there was a point in time when we missed that second field goal and it was still, it was 14 to seven and Illinois had the ball with the last, what looked like it could be the last possession of the first half. Um, you know, and I'm sitting here thinking like, crap, are they going to like be able to get seven on the board here and then get the ball back to start the second half and yep. be in a position where they can actually maybe even get a lead, like in a game that they're not even like competing in. like, you know, it's just giving opportunities to the other team. It's making me stress as a UVA fan and I don't like it. You know, <laughs> like I just think that we can put teams to bed. Um, we can run our offense, you know, I, until they prove they can stop it. Like just because they know what you're going to do until, you know, until they prove that they can stop it, I don't see why you stop running it. Like don't adjust before they show you any capability of stopping what you're doing. Exactly. Exactly. I couldn't agree more. Um, and then, so moving over to the defensive side of the ball, um, you know, some of the people that really stood out, I think are, it's pretty self-explanatory um, people that we kind of expected to stand out um, kind of, kind of same on the offensive side. Uh, Nick Jackson, uh, who, you know, we were really expecting to be the star defender this year on our team, really the leader on that in that group. Um, he's leading the team in 19 – he has 19 tackles in two games. Pretty impressive. Um, Joey Blunt, uh, he's – we're finally really seeing what he can do when he's when he stays healthy. He's, he's such so a, good. He's such a beast on the field. He's He flies all over the place. And, man, that guy can lay the boom. He really does lay some serious hits on some guys. So, I think just having that kind of force out there in the secondary has been – has been really helpful for that defense, and I think it's something they were seriously lacking last year. Um, Noah Taylor already has two sacks on the year. I'm hoping that that continues to grow, and he could really have himself a uh, a heck of a season um, with having two sacks already. Anthony Johnson, the transfer from uh, Louisville, getting that interception versus Illinois, huge. Uh, I think that's a huge, you know, morale booster for him, for somebody that you know already loved being a part of this program and. Uh, you know, I could just speak to, uh, you know, being at the game and, you know, he stood up on the, he came and stood up on the bench and, you know, got the crowd into it. And, you know, you can just tell how much that he loves being a part of Shawsville and to be able to get an interception like that and just really seal the game is, uh, you know, I think something that was special meant a lot to him. And you could tell that it meant a lot to the crowd as well. Um, and then, you know, I never, I really didn't think I'd be saying this, but the secondary man has just been absolutely impressive. Uh, this year, um, you know, they didn't get tested too much against William and Mary, but even against Illinois, when they aired the ball out a little bit, I was very, I was very pleased with how they held up. Um, they're really focusing on defending the ball. They're playing tight on, on the receivers and they're only, they're only allowing 155 pass yards a game. I mean, that, that's something that, that's something that when we had all the questions in the world going into the season of how is the defense going to perform mainly the secondary, like we felt confident in the front seven, but is the secondary going to be able to hold up? Is with Devontae Cross moving to safety, was that going to be the right call for him? Is Joey Blunt going to be able to stay healthy? Is is Anthony Johnson going to have help on the outside? You know, what's who was going to step up and really and really make plays for this secondary? And you know, we're I think we're seeing a lot of people really, um, you know, taking put, putting a lot of uh, putting a lot of good effort out there. Yeah, man. I I think obviously all of those are incredible points. I, I think you know one thought that comes to mind is with with Anthony Johnson, I just, from what I see, the way he plays corner is just so different from every other cornerback on our team. He's much more of that, like, 
lockdown, physical, press you at the line of scrimmage. You know, he doesn't drop 10 yards off like like Nick Grant would or like Fentrell Cypress does on the field side. He is like up in that dude's face. That guy has to hand fight him to even get two yards down the field um, and get into his route. And, you know, I really think schematically that it's it's done intentionally. Like you, you can kind of tell they trust him on that boundary side of the field to be able to lock down their their receiver over there and then they get extra coverage from nick grant at free safety now um with the field side corner that's got a bit more space to cover and i think that allows like joey blunt to have like the freedom to just you know kind of gravitate towards the ball i feel like his role in our defense is like honestly kind of similar to how tyron matthew plays for the chiefs like yeah he's a safety on paper but really he's just a like He's kind of a football player um, on, in the defensive sense. He's all over the field. Same thing with Noah Taylor. Um, you know, we've got these athletic guys that are able to make plays. We just got to get them in situations where, you know, they're allowed to do that and use their football instincts to, to get to the ball. Um, you know, one other person that I'd love to call out to just as an honorable mention of this list, um, just because I think we needed someone to step up at, at, at linebacker and knowing that, you know, we had two veterans coming back in Jackson and, and Taylor, but, I feel like Hunter Stewart has really impressed me so far. Um, I think he works really well with Nick Jackson and, and Noah Taylor. Um, you know, Elliot Brown's also come in and does, done a good job. But I think, um, you know, I, I really do think Hunter Stewart could be that, like, next really big linebacker um, coming through the ranks here. And it's been cool to see him, um, you know, get his chance and, and be able to actually shine in the game too. No, I couldn't agree more. I, I, I Since when you brought that up, it, I, it literally clicked on right in my head that – you know, Hunter Stewart has really stepped up. And somebody else has also stepped up is Antonio Clary. I think oh, I think not enough people are talking about that, but Antonio Clary is really uh really making this this defense something spe- is really helping make this defense something special. Antonio Clary has eleven tackles on the season already, and Hunter Stewart has nine. They're fourth and fifth on the tackle list. So wow. keep an eye out for these guys to continue to produce when nobody really expected them to. Um I mean, yeah, Nick Grant, who's only had six tackles, Darius Bratton's at seven. Anthony Johnson's at eight. So, you know, guys that, uh, you know, and Devontae Cross is way down the list at three tackles. So, you know, obviously, yeah. obviously tackles don't mean but so much in, as, as far as, you know, defensive performance, but just something as far as, like, the true stat line goes, like it's something impressive to kind of look at and see, like, oh, man, these are two guys that we weren't – we kind of had question marks about and weren't really weren't really expecting too much from them. I think, in Hunter, I think Hunter Stewart and Antonio Clary have both uh, stepped up – to the call so far and uh you know we'll continue to impress going forward yeah i think clary's definitely one for the future as well i mean we got to see him a bit over the past two seasons um he kind of reminds me a lot of joey blunt in terms of his play style um just needs to be a little bit more i think he could probably improve in coverage a little bit but he he's another one that lays the boom like seriously he hits very hard hits above his his body weight so um you know i really like the physicality that he brings at the safety position too for sure, for sure. And it, so it's hard to say, you know, it's really what the underperformers are on the defense. I, for me, I think mainly just the – maybe the front seven as a whole, or maybe was maybe I had higher expectations for them since they're such an experienced group coming back. Um, they have four sacks on the year, but I still feel like the – I feel like the pressure on the quarterback really hasn't been there like I was kind of hoping it was. Um, also I wasn't really too impressed with the, uh, with, with them stopping the run on, uh, against Illinois. I think they, I think Illinois was able to, uh, uh, eclipse the century mark, um, against us. Uh, but 
I mean, regardless, I mean, they still they still have performed fine. Like, yeah. there's, nothing, there's nothing they've done wrong. And I think even Bronco even mentioned that, you know, some of those – some of the, a lot of the runs, he was actually still pretty impressed with his front seven. But I think it was more some breakdowns maybe on the uh, on the outside, maybe in the secondary. So, it you know, from a, from a fan standpoint, it's kind of hard to say. But I think I, maybe I just expected a little bit more quarterback pressure. And especially going into this game against North Carolina, who has an incredibly weak offensive line compared to last year, um, I think pressuring the quarterback is going to be extremely important. And then my, yeah. my other thing, I guess I was kind of hoping that, you know, we might have a few more turnovers, one interception and one fumble recovery in two, in, uh, in two games. But, you know, overall defense has been efficient, so I can't really complain. For sure. Um, I think it's fair to have, like, wanted to see – maybe a little bit more pressure on the quarterback in the first few games. But the one thing I did notice, and, and I did really try to keep a keen eye out for this because I had a feeling they might do this, and I definitely mentioned this in our preseason pod, was that you know with this North Carolina game being positioned so early in the season um, after two, not warm-up games, but you know games against lesser competition, obviously Illinois is a Power 5 team. like You're going to take that seriously. But at the same time, they're not a conference foe, and at the end of the day, that game doesn't really mean that much beyond just like national recognition. Um, I think it felt very vanilla in terms of our like pressures, like, and it felt purposeful in that regard. I I think we were rushing three, rushing four at the very most. The couple of times I saw us do a little bit more exotic blitzes were, if you remember the end of the first half in the Illinois game, um, we got two sacks in a row to end the half. And you could tell on both of those plays, we actually ran some sort of like, you know, confusing front, some disguised blitz, um, specifically on the second one. I just remember very well that Noah Taylor had like lined up on the outside and then spun to the inside um, once the ball was snapped and got a free shot at the quarterback. Um, you know, I, I, I think we can expect to see a lot more of that in this North Carolina game. I think we've been saving a little bit um, knowing that, you know, we'd be able to get adequate pressure with, you know, some pretty vanilla schemes um, and that like we can really turn up the volume a little bit against uh, Nick Howell or sorry, uh, Sam Howell. <laughs> Nick Howell <laughs> will turn up the, the pressure on Sam Howell in, in, on Saturday. So, um, you know, that's just a, a theory of mine. Maybe it's a more of a desire of mine, but um, I think it's something that I wouldn't be shocked to see, especially some more blitzes coming from the safeties as well. I don't think I've seen Joey Blunt come on a blitz yet and you know that they like to blitz him too so for sure for sure well I hope you're I hope you're right in that aspect um jumping over to special teams real quick uh, as far as the kicking game goes Jacob Finn the transfer from Florida has been extremely impressive this year he's averaging 46 yards per punt and has a long of 52 um I think that he's really been great with uh you know changing field position and um I think he's really filled into that role well and um, you know, I think Florida's pretty well known for for their special teams. So bringing in a guy like this was definitely a huge a huge get in the transfer portal. Um, jumping over to Justin Dunkel, I kind of want to talk about this for a second. It, it looked like he kicked with a lot of confidence in the William Mary game, and then and then it seemed like after the first miss um, in the game against Illinois, it seemed like that confidence really went away. He he was even like pushing, he he pushed his uh sec, his push his second kick of it was like in between thirty and. 39 yards he pushed it wide right and then a lot of his extra points um after following that were kind of going towards the right he didn't miss him but um going over two on the day was definitely not ideal for 
you know, somebody that we know has a clearly has the leg. He definitely, he definitely has that. But I question, I'm questioning his kind of his, his confidence right now um, because in a game against North Carolina, that means so much, you know, do you, is he, is he going to be able to bounce back from going, having a game, uh, you know, that's Owen and being Owen to um, over two on field goals and, you know, when pressure time comes against North Carolina, if we need a, a field goal to win the game, are we going to be able to count on him to make it? Yeah, I think it's, it is a little concerning. Um, it, you know, the kicking position is obviously very mental. Like you said, he has the capability. He has the leg strength. We've seen him knock him through. He has accuracy when, you know, when he's feeling confident. Um, it's just a matter of, you know, repetition and, and seeing it, um, seeing it happen before his eyes. So, you know, hopefully the next situation he has to kick a field goal in game is some, you know, short chip shot just to get his confidence back up. Um, I, I really do think like the mental effect of just having his first missed field goal kind of got him for the rest of the day. And hopefully the coaches can get him reset over the week, um, get him trusting his ability again. But I think there's nothing better than in game reps. So um, just be hopeful that the next time he's out there, he's able to execute better. Um, but yeah, overall, I think special teams has been okay. It hasn't been like a huge strength, but at the same time, it hasn't really been a need either. Um, our offense has just executed very well and our defense has been able to get the other team off the field pretty easily. So, um, has been kind of a non-factor up to this point. I couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more. All right. So before we jump into our, uh, UNC preview, I kind of wanted to talk about something that's kind of been surrounding kind of been the topic among the fans um, over the last week after only having 36,000 show up to uh, the Illinois game. I understand it was an 11 a.m. kickoff. It's going to it's going to hurt attendance. I mean, 12, 12 o'clock is bad enough. 11 a.m. That's just not ideal for anyone. Um, but for a team that has shown success ever since Bronco got here and is continuing to trend upwards and has really put emphasis on the, making the fourth side a priority. It really has to, it really makes me wonder why the fans are still not buying in. And what do you think are some of the issues around Scott stadium that are causing fans to just sit and watch the game at home rather than actually come to Charlottesville? So, you know, I haven't been there this year, but I have been there a lot over the past, you know, decade plus. And so I feel like I've got a decent judge. Um, you know, it, I think, you know, there's obviously problems at the stadium and I know you're going to go into more detail on those, but maybe I'll speak a little bit more for like the fan participation perspective. Like the onus is still on, on the people that like have to come to the games. Like, you know, while the game day atmosphere could certainly improve, the biggest and most important part of game day atmosphere is participation in it. And the only way to have participation in it is to actually have attendance. So yes, I think UVA can do more to attract people to come to games, but I also feel like, you know, I'm kind of just getting sick of like people making excuses and saying like, Oh, it's an 11 a.m. Ki- 11 a.m. kickoff. Oh, you know, obviously COVID is like a viable excuse, but like, you know, other teams like Virginia tech, like they're not really having, any like issues with attendance North Carolina sold out every single home game this season um you know I know we're going to touch on like some strategic things we think that EV athletics can do to to you know to do their part but you know I think it's on the fans man like 
I don't expect any miracles. I'm not expecting us to like break a sellout crowd every single game, but at the same time, like these guys deserve at least 50,000 people in the stands every single game. Like they're, they're way too good of a team. And there's teams that are significantly worse than UVA, smaller schools, private schools that like don't have quite the same brand as UVA that are getting better attendance numbers consistently. And that's just like, to me, unacceptable and something that, um, you know, it's a clear problem that, that we need to, to go about solving because, like I said, first and foremost, I, I just think the players and the coaching staff, like, deserve better. You know, you watch BYU against Utah the other night, like, you know, that's the that's the staff's old team. And, like, they're out there in the middle of Utah. Like, yeah, obviously, maybe there's nothing better to do. But at the same time, it's not like BYU is, like, this perennial powerhouse team. Um obviously they're playing their rival but at the same time like there's not an empty seat in that stadium and the crowd is going absolutely nuts like there's no reason we can't have that atmosphere we literally showed it in 2019 with the fsu game and the virginia tech game like those were some of the most hyped games i've been to for uva football like why would people not want to do that more often like it's an enjoyable experience i just don't understand like the lazy Saturday atmosphere idea is just kind of bogus to me. And I couldn't agree with you more. Honestly, like, I think uh, one thing that I don't really understand is like, you can easily get a cheap ticket on a secondary market to come to these games. It's not like you're paying upwards of a hundred dollars a game for, for um, like an SEC style football game. It's, it's just not, it's not the case. You can easily get it. You can easily get a ticket to get in there and find somebody that's selling, or go and stub up whatever it may be. Buy one from the ticket office. Yeah. They're not. They're not that expensive. Yeah. And you know, obviously, I understand. Have some people have financial obligations. I get it. I get it. This is not me like pointing, saying, "Hey, you have to spend your money on this." But it's the. I mean, I definitely have things that I could be saving that money with, but this program has taken and invested. These the, the coaches and these players have invested in this program, and I feel like it's my responsibility as a fan to give that same energy back to them. And like the students have done a great job the first two games, I'll give it to the students, they've done a fantastic job the first two games. And even for the 11 a.m. kickoff, I was pretty impressed with the amount that turned out. They showed out for William Mary, the hill was completely full, all the sections were, fill, were filled of theirs. And that's only going to improve. Wake Forest is going to be huge when they come to town. Students are going to show out again. They always do. But the as far as the support from the community, I feel like that a standard has just been set that it's acceptable to have 35,000 fans in the stadium. And, that's just, and quite frankly, that's just not the case. And so a couple of things that I've noticed over the last two games. The sound system at the stadium sounds like the speakers are blown. Um, they sound horrible, like absolutely awful. Um, at the Illinois game, for some reason, the band stopped playing, stopped using their trumpets. So like literally you saw people just up, like the band players moving up and down, like they had a trumpet in their hand. It was literally just their hands. There was nothing. And I'm like, okay, so what are we doing here? Like, this makes no sense. So all you're hearing is the tubas who don't produce a whole lot of noise. It's pretty much just like a bass thing. I don't, I don't know. I don't know music, but it doesn't produce a whole lot of noise. And then the drum line, that's it. So it's like all the, all the sound that typically comes from the band wasn't there. So I'm over here wondering, I'm like, what the heck is wrong? Like it didn't make any sense. Um, 
as far as the fans go, the fans don't have any energy unless it's thirds down and crazy train comes on. So if I'm UVA, when you're putting on the scoreboard and on the little sideboards that are going along the stands and saying, make noise, how about instead of just, you know, putting the words up there, play some music that somebody, somebody like that the fans like or whatever. Like they, they like hearing the music of like where uh, you do the, Oh, 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 like all that kind of like that, that kind of music, the ones that people like actually enjoy and can get hyped to. That's what the defense needs. You don't just have to play it on third down, do it on first down when they're opening up a drive after a big play, do it on that. Yeah. Like show some damn variety for crying out loud. It's so frustrating when the defense is out there playing their ass off and they have nothing but freaking silence. I mean, Lord, you can hear, you can hear the grass grow in the Illinois game. It was atrocious. Yeah. That's frustrating, man. That is frustrating. And when they do play hype music, it play like stop playing it so softly. It's like I almost hear the music turn on, and I hear them turn the volume down. It, it's like it's like they literally turn the volume down. Like this is a football game, not a funeral. Play the hype music loud. Get the fans involved. It, it's like I, I just it doesn't make any sense. It's like if you if you're gonna have hype music, you want the fans to be engaged in the games and whatnot. Do not hold back on the hype music. Yeah, I mean, like you watch these bigger stadiums and whatnot. Does Virginia Tech turn down Inner Sandman? Hell no, they don't. No, and they have some. Does Wisconsin, Wisconsin turn around, turn turn down, jump around, and all no, the fans crank are jumping up. like crazy? Hell no, they don't. <laughs> yeah, turn that shit up. And if your speakers can't handle it, buy better speakers. <laughs> it's not like we can't afford it. We got one of the exactly. biggest endowments in the entire nation for a public university. Um, I mean, I I couldn't agree more. And it's like the only scripted thing that we have is the third down music and like the kickoff music. But like you look at Virginia tech, for example, like every third down a tech fan knows they got to pull out their little jingle keys. And like, you, you know, like for, for students, especially that are like, a lot of them are new to watching football and a lot of them just candidly, they're going to watch games the four years that they're here in Charlottesville. And they'll probably never watch a football game again, like a good trip chunk of them obviously you hope as many of them as possible keep coming back but like some of them need a little bit of guidance to understand like what they're even cheering for and like i know from being a college student that like if you like are instructing college kids to get hype like they're gonna get hype but like if you're just sitting there and like no nothing's coming out of the speaker it's only third down so when the crazy train is playing which is a song that half of them have probably never even heard before they step foot on the scott stadium um like it's just you know you can do a little bit more to instruct how to be a good football fan like for some of these younger kids that don't really know what they're doing but they just want to be there and do their part it's it's kind of like you know it's a little frustrating and then you know for fans that are more like us that are the the season ticket holders it's like dude do your part like it's not even that hard like you should be, I assume if you're there at the game, you're, you're a big fan of the team and that you love them and you want to see them do well. Um, it's pretty proven like the impact that fans have on the outcome of a game. You can ask any Virginia tech fan and they'll tell you like, they'll go blue in the face talking to you about how great of a crowd that they have. I mean, there's no reason that like we can't have something similar. Like I'm not asking for anything crazy. We don't need to exactly. be white out. At I mean, I, I mean, I would be, I would be fine with forty-five thousand a game, forty-five thousand a game. That, that's, that's literally my only ask. Fifteen thousand empty seats for your normal games, fine. 
you you have your you have your big games like Notre Dame and in North Carolina or Miami coming to and Virginia Tech coming to town. Yeah, then you're pushing your fifty five to sixty k. Yep. And you know at capacity that that is my expectations. But never, never as a Division One Power Five football program should we ever drop below forty k. Especially ever. with the success on the field, like if you we could almost we, forgive it when you're two and ten. And like hopes are at the lowest point possible, but like this team is good, man. Like they they are really good. They deserve better. Um, it's it's frustrating. And one thing that you kind of brought up there with like quoting the numbers, um, it, it reminded me. I've been having some conversations on Twitter. I've definitely seen other people talking about it. And this is something that I that I I brought up back, you know, way back in 2019, actually before that season kicked off. You and I were talking about game day enhancements and how to get the crowd going more and how to like get people more involved and what can UVA do? Um, and you and I, like we, we literally like put together a survey, collected the responses and then I packaged them up and sent them to Carla. And you actually saw some, so I'm not saying that I'm the reason, but you saw some of these enhancements like actually being made over the past couple of years. One that we've talked about since, since then is um, you know, UNC, employed this model of basically they had a capacity stadium they had a stadium capacity very similar to to scott stadium some something around like 62 to 61,000 seats and i think it was about four or five years back they remodeled the interior of their stadium to have you know kind of comfortable seat back chairs instead of the bleachers the old school metal bleachers that we're all kind of used to and, you know, it, it brought like a level of class to the stadium, to be honest with you. It, 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 it looks more aesthetic. Um, it's way more comfortable and it's more spacious. The trade-off was, you know, the capacity is lower. It was lower by about seven or 8,000. So their current capacity is like 52 to 53,000. Yet now they are selling out every single game. Obviously they get all this national hype that helps. But at the same time, like, I think UVA can do something very similar a lot of the common complaints you see of the older alumni and older fan base is, Oh, the chairs are so uncomfortable. Like I just, I can't get comfortable at the game. Well, like, you know, give, give them no excuse to say that anymore. Like throw these chairs in the stadium. Um, I think it's just a clear and obvious investment in the team and the trade-off might be, yeah, we decrease our capacity. We might not ever break our, um, our highest ever attendance at a game. But if it means that we're hitting 50 K or more every single game, I think that's a massive like benefit to the program, given that we're struggling to get 40 right now, like mm-hmm. in a, in a daytime game against Illinois, you know, like not to mention, I mean, it was a beautiful day in Charlottesville. Yeah. And dude, absolutely gorgeous day in Charlottesville. And, and I'm just trying to realize that like, people are going to complain about the time of day that the game is at, unless it's at three 30 in the afternoon, people are always going to complain like 11 AM. Yeah. I'll give it to you. It's a little too early same time it's really that different from noon i don't think it is mm-hmm. but i know people complain about noon people complain about 7 30 and how it like oh you, you get home so late i'm so tired by the end of the day it's like why why is it so many excuses man like it's like I mean, this, like is, this is college like this is college football <laughs> i mean i mean it's like you have you have six or seven home games out of the entire year and you know you're out here just making excuses i mean i saw somebody say that they were coming from nova Okay, I'm sorry. You got a two-hour drive. Wake up at eight o'clock in the morning and get there one hour before kickoff. It's Can we like, talk about like I mean, Virginia like, Tech? Like, I'm sorry to keep comparing us to Virginia Tech, but like this is something that they're clearly better than us at. 
like Virginia Tech, no matter where you're coming from, any populated part of Virginia, unless you're in Roanoke, if you're from Richmond, Northern Virginia, or Virginia Beach, getting Virginia Tech is an extra two and a half hours down the road. Yet they have no issue getting those same populations of people to come out. Yet people are like sitting at home in Richmond, which is like one hour down the highway, easiest drive in the world. You and I do it all the time. You can literally get on 64 West. You could you could sleep with cruise control on and be at the game. Like it is that easy of a drive. Like it is seriously like just I don't I'm tired of the excuses of people that like are easily capable of coming that are just saying like nah it's not like compelling enough to me to, to come anymore. It's just, it's, it's infuriating. Yeah, it really is. And I mean, and you know, I, I tweeted out, of, you know, asking kind of you what their opinions were. And, um, you know, I got, we got a couple of replies and, you know, some people mentioned that the, you know, the marching band and the P, PA kind of were out of sync, you know, every single time during a pregame routine, you know, th- that makes sense. And also I mean, it's mainly just throughout the game. I feel like, you know, the PA is trying to talk over. Dude, the PA has you know, got to stop. Like the PA is terrible. It's absolutely awful. It's like yeah. you got to know the right time when to talk and when not to talk. It's like I understand that you have to have that in the game, but don't talk over the band or or try and talk over hype music when like it's just it doesn't it's not necessary. Yeah, I it's agree, not necessary. Man. Nobody needs to hear it. it it's, it's like it's always that like during the pregame when they're doing the like go who's chant like and you hear the PA announcer like echoing throughout the stadium yet you can't even hear the fans chant exactly it's, like dude, I mean, every, everybody that's been going to a uba fan knows what we say in, in yeah. that time like you say go who's like it, yeah it, it's just it's, like we don't need our our handheld the excitement is hearing the echo around the stadium the reverb of thousands of human voices yelling it not like a an audio microphone assisted hype man like that's not cool yeah. that's not the point like, this isn't Disney World. Like, it literally makes me think of Disney World. Like, when I hear them, like, doing the chants for us over the PA. It's like, if you really want the fans to do it, like, give them a chance to. Because there's no way you can even hear them when you're screaming over a microphone. Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, this is the last point I'm going to make on this because we need to, we definitely need to move on. But I think, I think something that UVA seriously lacks is its own identity when it comes to a like what what makes the game day experience special at scott stadium like you have you have penn state you know who does their whiteout and you know they sing they they sing power by kanye west like before the team comes out you have wisconsin who does jump around you have virginia tech who has inner sandman you have um florida who sings that song by, by tom petty i can't i think it's tom petty Um, like you have, I mean, you have all these programs that have developed a name for themselves. And when you talk about college football traditions, it's the same ones every single year. Right. And then you have UVA where, yeah, we, we have a, we have a, I guess, whatever you want to call it as a hype video. I think, I think seriously needs work. I think the entrance is incredibly underwhelming. And I think in in regards to playing Thunderstruck, for the, I will say this: for the first time since I've been going to a UVA, since I've been going to UVA games, they played Thunderstruck all the way through the the initial beginning part of it, and then when like the band, like when the main like guitars and everything came in, that's when the team ran out on the field. That's the longest that they've actually played Thunderstruck, trying to get the fans involved. I did like that. 
So I hope that continues. Mm-hmm. But as far as the pregame experience goes and getting fans hyped up to watch a football game, Virginia seriously lacks an identity when it yeah. comes to that. And so I think until they figure out what that identity is, and they can build it around the fourth side. Yes, the fourth side. They, the fourth side is something that, that they have seriously built, trying to build a brand, a brand out of, and fans need to start buying into it. I'm telling you right now, buy into it because you're going to really miss it when it's gone. Yeah. Because Bronco, just... Bronco keeps doing what he's doing, and you're not going to have him much longer. Yeah, I I'm agree. I'm telling you right now, he's not somebody that's just going to stick around forever. Right. And, Believe me, yeah, I would like that, but it's I wish not... he'd stay until Joe Pa age or yeah. Bobby Bowden age, but it's not going to happen. The guy has a life outside of football that he cares about, and he's already said that. Um, I agree. Like, what if the players had never bought into the jersey number thing or the color shirts during preseason training or, you know, any of the traditions that he's started here in Charlottesville with this team? Like, what if the players had never bought in? You know, would we be as successful as we are now? Like, this guy has demonstrated an ability to, you know, maybe he has some weirder ideas. Maybe he has stuff that doesn't like an immediately interest you or, or seem like something that like, you know, is exciting. Like give him, like put some faith in the guy. Like he's clearly demonstrated an ability to build a program and build a culture within the team. Let that extend to the fan base. Now, like the guy is freaking smart. Trust me, like he's one of the, one of the smartest football coaches probably ever in terms of just natural intelligence. Um, I think that he, we, you know, we owe it to him as a fan base to really buy into the culture. Um, you know, I know we saw the good news yesterday on Twitter is like there's a really strong rumor that a huge donation is coming to the master plan um, this week. So hopefully that's like a good kickstart. And, you know, all this fan talk over the past couple of weeks, maybe that'll get some people motivated, get some people, you know, ready, get them engaged. Um, and hopefully we can see some differences, but I agree with you. I think there's a lot that people can, or that, that the UVA athletic department can do to, you know, to improve that game day environment. And I would love to have some like traditions. I'm sure we can crowdsource some ideas and think of some things that we would like to see at the game that, um, you know, if they try it out and we all kind of buy in, maybe they'll continue to do like swag surfing is definitely one of them. Like, you know, they, they threw that out there back in 2018. It's not exactly unique, but it is at least something that like gets the fans involved. And like, and it's something, something, that, something that I wish, something I wish they would play more than just the fourth quarter. Yeah. I mean, I, they, I think they waited, I think they waited till like when the fourth quarter was nearly over to play it against Illinois. I mean, it's like your defense has just dominated for three straight quarters. And, you know, it's like, and well, we already like, did what, all the swag circle. Like, like, what are, like, what are we doing? It's like, <laughs> Yeah, like for for me, I mean, play play it more often. I feel like it doesn't have to just be the fourth quarter. I mean, like get people something something to get fans involved in. You know, I, it, the team gets ex- extremely hyped for it. It's like, I think it's something they should do after they come out the tunnel while the captains are out doing the coin toss. Like, yeah, exactly. It's would like, you not want our team to like run out like get shot out of a cannon on opening kickoff? Like, oh yeah, that would be like that would get everyone so hyped up for sure. For sure. It's just like, I don't know. I, I feel like just there needs to be, and just as far as like the social media aspect goes too, it's like the, 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 pro, the promoting of the football season and, you know, teams, you know, the good, the, the teams that really show devotion into their programs and whatnot, they release, you know, hype videos and things like that, that that was probably the most asinine performance 
from a social media team that I saw leading into a season this year than any other year before. Yeah. The hype, like the, the hype video that they, whatever it is in before the team runs out in the stadium, I think it's incredibly lackluster. It's It's like, it's, it's boring. You know what they're the most hype videos that they put out are literally the Jersey reveals. Like exactly. those get more goosebumps on my skin than anything else by far. And, it's like, and there's, there's, I mean, there's one little one minute videos, you know, before before each game. It's like it's not getting me hype for anything. Yeah. It's like, and I understand, like you don't have to do it for every game and whatnot. But it's like when you when when you're welcoming fans back after a full year of no college football for anyone to go and watch, and the most that you do is put up some crap little video before William and Mary, the first time you're welcoming fans back in almost two years since we beat Virginia Tech. That's the, that's, that's what you do. Yeah. It shows there's no care for the program. No, no real effort in getting fans invested. It's like you have guys that, especially like, so, I mean, you hear, you hear a mod. I think I've seen one video with a mod Hawkins talking in it. And the one that he did where he talked in it was, was an incredible video. People, like, people that love that stuff where there's like voiceovers and whatnot, mm-hmm. that stuff sounds cool. It gives you chills a little bit. Yeah. The motivational shit. That's going to get me fired up to watch a football game. Right. That's what I want. Yeah. It's not even that hard to do, man. See, like clearly. I don't want just some music and then watching us make a bunch of plays. Like I watched the plays last week. Yeah. So like, give me something new. It's the same crap every year. They wonder why they had 35,000 fans showing up for a Power 5 program coming into Scott Stadium. I don't know. End of yep. rant. But... rant. Rant complete, but it's End warranted. Of... And I think, you know, guys, like, as you listen to this, please engage with us on Twitter. Please keep talking as a fan base. Like like I said earlier, the best way for us to change, make change happen is to crowdsource and to make, you know, unanimous, obvious uh, points to to our athletic department and to Carla. I think Carla is an exceptional athletic director, but she has a tough job ahead of her here with with enhancing this game day experience. And I think, you know, she's proven an ability and a and, and a willingness to listen to fans and and to to hear them out and to to try to do her best to appease the things that they want. The only way we're going to be able to do that is to actually get a dialogue going. And to make it clear, uh, you know, the, the worst thing that we can do is be apathetic to it and just say, oh, I hate it. It's so annoying, but I'm not going to do anything about it. It's like, do something, say something like, let's make it obvious. Let's get Savannah 2J involved. Like, like, you know, people like that, that are close to the program that, you know, literally have someone living in their house or living next door or that they're around all the time that is involved in the program. And let's get ideas going and let's try to make something happen. It's not impossible. This is how this stuff happens. Couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more. All right. Well, the time has finally come. I know that we went on a little bit of a rant there, but the, the game of the week, UNC, obviously there's no no sort of knowledge that this is probably one of the biggest games on our schedule all year because this is really going to set the tone for how the ACC is going to go. UNC's already got one ACC game under their belt. They lost to Virginia Tech in a very raucous lane stadium um, to open the season. They lost that game 17-10. to 10. Yeah, UNC only put up 10 points. That's That actually happened. They have one of the best quarterbacks in the country, and they only put up 10 points. 
that's going to be the that that's something that definitely I think caught a lot of eyes at the beginning of the season. So, obviously, a couple of players to watch for this team. Sam Howell. I don't think there's any real secret that of who he is. He's lit up our defense the last two years. Sam Howell has has 796 yards and eight touchdowns against Virginia's defense over the last two years. That's no that is no interceptions. No interceptions. He obviously has a big play capability. He's able to make those throws. And six out of the eight touchdowns that he had were 30-plus yards. Limit the big plays, and you win this football game. Yeah. Um, he's definitely turned into a little bit more of a dual-threat quarterback. Um, he had over 100 rushing yards against Georgia State. Um as far as our defense goes, we've seen dual threat quarterbacks enough where we practice with four of them that containing him should not be an issue in yeah. that sense. You know? I'm, you know, I mean, let me let me say just to you. Would you be okay with the game plan where you say make Sam Howell beat us with his feet versus his arm? Like, I feel way more confident in our ability to stop him on the ground than our ability, you know, just based on observed history. If you asked me, if you asked me last year, yes, I would, I would say that this year, I think UNC, they lost their top two receivers to the draft, top two running backs to the draft. So I think they're still searching for a little bit of an offensive identity. I think they maybe found it a little bit against Georgia state, but again, it was Georgia state. So take that. Sam Howell kind of played hero ball, man. Like, they still haven't established their consistent run game. And for North Carolina's offense to click, they need to have reliable production at running back. Like, that is the only way the RPO works effectively is if you actually believe they might hand it off and do something against you. Exactly. Their one running back is Ty – their main running back is Ty Chandler. He's got 124 yards on the year and one – 124 yards on on the year and one touchdown. And they expected a lot more from him. Like, they – they thought he was going to yep. come in and be just as good as Javante Williams and Michael Carter right away. Yeah, because he, I mean, he put up he put up pretty solid numbers at Tennessee. Mm-hmm. And when he transferred, when he transferred here, they were definitely, I think, they really had some high expectations. So, I think, uh, I think that's kind of an underwhelming performance up to this point. And you know, with UVA, who's got a, who, you know, I would say we pride ourselves on our run defense. I think this is, and you know, with them having a weak offensive line, I think this is cause for concern for for North Carolina. Um, they do have uh, their main primary receiver is Josh Downs. Um, obviously, they left. They lost um, Deami Brown, and I'm not. I can't remember off the top of my head who the other guy was. Taz Newsom. Taz Newsom. That's correct. Yeah. They lost those two guys last year. Um, two very, very big playmakers for them. Um, Josh Downs has, has definitely humbly stepped into that into that top role. He's got 16, 16 catches on the season, 196 yards, and two touchdowns. So he's definitely put up yeah. very solid numbers, and he seems to definitely be. Uh, Sam's go-to um, go-to guy, and uh, definitely seems like they've kind of been able to use him in a couple of different ways as well. Um, he's definitely a deep threat as well. They've kind of used him in checkdown situations too. So it'll definitely be interesting to see, you know, how kind of he's used in that offense and um, and kind of what what the, our plan is to uh, to stop him. Um, again, the offensive line for North Carolina is terrible. Um, we'll get a little bit more into that with the uh, keys to victory, but. The main thing that was only notable on the defensive side of the ball was their linebacker Tomon Fox. Um, he's pretty. He's definitely their leader on this defense. He's kind of got that very much like Noah Taylor esque um, playmaking ability. 
Um, he's just kind of he's all over the field. He can play just about anywhere on that defense. Um, so I think I think the main thing is is being able to run the football with him, uh, not you know not being able to uh, kind of have an effect on that. So uh, definitely something to look out for and see if we can uh, kind of avoid him at all costs. Um, so is there is there anybody else that kind of you want that stands out for you, Honor? I mean, you know, this is just general stuff from like sort of scavenging through their message boards and trying to get a feel for what their fans are thinking and what they're worried about. And, um, you know, you mentioned it earlier, like the offensive line for them, I think they expected a whole lot more than what they've seen so far in both run blocking and pass protection. Um, I really like her chances, seriously, of being able to get after Howell and, and make him have to rush decisions. Virginia Tech kind of laid a blueprint of how you can effectively manage their, their offense. And it's to get him in pressure situations where he is freaking the F out, worried about, you know, breaking a rib because the linebackers coming downhill at him a hundred miles an hour. Um, and I think that's a way that we were able to, you know, while he had huge games against us the last two years, we were really good at situational football and stopping them in the times that we really absolutely had to and the way we did that was we dialed up pressure and we got to him and we sacked him. Um, and I think that's something we can continue to do, get them in third and long type situations where it's a big, deep hole they have to dig their way out of. Um, you know, Josh Downs is definitely an, an exceptionally good player. Seriously, like I think he's one for the future. Definitely going to be a guy we hear about for the next couple of years. He's solid. Um, but they're really having a hard time seeing other guys step up. Uh, Shoffrey Brown is the younger brother of Deami Brown. He had a really big touchdown against Virginia last year, like a 70 yarder, but he's one that they expected a whole lot more out of so far this season that hasn't really produced yet. Um, so, you know, I, I, I like where our secondary has been. I like our, our chances of being able to, you know, hold coverage for maybe what four or five seconds and give our pass rush a little bit of time to get home. Um, so I think, you know, schematically from the defensive side of the ball, feel good about what we'll be able to do hopefully and then offensively you know assuming all things continue to click um their secondary is supposed to have taken some massive leap to the nether regions of you know unc football like defensive progress whatever they're not that good like seriously we should be able to throw the ball all over that defense they're getting no pressure on the quarterback at all even georgia state they struggled to get to get home and get sacks on him. So I like that, you know, I like our offensive line against their pass rush. And so far, you know, Tony Grimes is really the only big five-star recruit they've had. That's actually flashed that big so far on the defensive side of the ball. I agree. I agree. And that, so that pretty much brings us into, uh, into our keys to victory segment. Um, so the first thing that, that I have is, you know, obviously pressure Sam Howell. I think that's the number one, um, kind of key that we just really focus on. I won't be that dead horse, but Virginia Tech uh, really took advantage of their weak offensive line and they sacked Sam six times and so forced him to three interceptions. So obviously when he's pressured, he might not make the best decisions. So I'm hoping that, uh, you know, Nick Howell will take advantage of that and uh, kind of recognize that, you know, there's a, there's a common denominator there and we do expose it. Um, so mov moving on, uh, don't get too cute with the offensive play calling and I, um, that's, that's pretty much, I think this is pretty much self-explanatory in itself that we've seen with this, with this offense is able to do. And, um, that really makes it shine. And when we get, to, when things get too cute, it just, uh, 
things just really seem to falter. And, uh, you know, the, the offense doesn't move as, as smoothly as it, as it can. There's plenty of weapons around Brennan, and we need to utilize them. Um, third, uh, start fast. Uh, the last two years have been shootouts. I'm definitely expecting this to be kind of a similar situation. Um, you know, while our defense has improved, Sam Howell is still one of the best quarterbacks in the country, and I think he's going to put up good numbers. Um, so I'm definitely uh, – the offense really did a good job last week of getting out to a hot start against Illinois, and we need to take advantage of, of UNC's uh, defense, in which I'm really – they, they say they have an improved secondary. I've, I've talked to plenty of Virginia Tech fans that will straight up admit to you that their offense is not good. So, you know, if that's what they're judging that on and, you know, there's 16, 17 points that they held uh, Georgia State to, congratulations, whatever. Um, <laughs> so, um, and then also, I think if 30 points or less by the defense, Eagles are guaranteed to win. Um, this offense has shown that they can put up 42 and 43 points a game. I think that I think they'll definitely put that up again. I really don't see any changes there. Those are two games that we took our foot off the gas too, man. Like, seriously, like we could have scored at will against both of those teams in the second half. Like, I I like our chances to put up a similar amount of points if it's, if it's all put together correctly. Really agreed. Agreed. And you know, it could, it could even, that number could even be raised to 35, but I think quite frankly, I think 30 is a a good number to, to kind of for the defense to shoot for. And if we can hold them under that, then I think it's a successful day. Um, and then last, and I think this is probably one of the most important ones, um, just based off what I've seen so far, I, Brennan has to stay poised. Um, he has to continue to improve, to build off of what he's done over the first two games. Um, he's really shown a lot of discipline, a lot of growth um, as a quarterback um, in, in these last, in, in the first two games of the season compared to last year. So I'm hoping that he can kind of build on that and really put out a star performance and really throw himself on the map um, that he is, that he can be a top quarterback in the country. Um, so, you know, and on top of that, I mean, it's, you know, we're playing on the road for the first time this year. That's one thing that if there's any fault in what Bronco has done with this program, it's that our road record is horrendous. Like it's bad, but Hey, we've gone into Chapel Hill once and uh, recently and beat them, and I have no doubt that we'll be able to do it again. Um, but a lot of it's going to come down. It's one hundred percent going to come down to Brennan's play, and if he can stay composed enough in a hostile Chapel Hill environment and make smart decisions and utilize the weapons to your advantage and s- score a lot of touchdowns. Yeah, I agree. That's the recipe for success, no doubt about it. Do you want me to, to run through real quick where we're at so far on our, our season predictions and, yeah. and maybe capstone that with, with you know, the, the choices that we had for this game? Yeah, yeah, go for it. Go for it. All right, cool. So rewinding the tape a little bit, looking back at the William & Mary game. So it looks like you had predicted a 52-14 to 14 win while I had predicted 55-13. to 13. I think that, you know, we were, you know, in terms of margin of victory, we were in the right ballpark. Uh, we they actually exceeded our expectations a little bit there. Um, but, you know, it, it was cool to actually see a goose egg on the scoreboard. Um, you know, usually when you play an FCS team, like there's some garbage time touchdown that they don't really deserve. Or, you know, we come out flat and give up a point early. But I think it was cool to see, um, you know, shut out. And then, like you said, it could have easily been, <laughs> could have easily been uh, more than 43 points. Um and then for, for Illinois, 
uh, you had predicted 42 to 17. Oh. And oh, I had close. predicted 41 to 24. So we were both right there in the ballpark. You you almost had it on the nose, oh, man. Um, which is pretty cool. I love looking back at these because we've historically done incredibly well in terms of the point outcomes. Like, I, we could talk about it another time, but, like, we have gotten very close on a lot of predictions. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, okay, so for, for UNC, um, <clears throat> I had predicted in the preseason a 49-44 to 44 loss and an absolute shootout. Um, and you had predicted a 49 to 42 win. So we were like so consistent on our numbers, um, but it was, it was just flipped in terms of the result. How are you feeling about that prediction um, and specifically 49 to 42 as the outcome? So I think, uh, I think I was expecting to see some more out of UNC's offense when I made that prediction So I'm going to go ahead and make a little bit of a change. I'm going to go with a 42-31 to victory by UVA. I think I like like that a lot better. I don't see see UNC putting up 40 points in this game. Yeah. And just for people's sake that, you know, aren't in the betting market, um, this game actually opened up as a 10.5 point. Uh, UNC favorite it's already down I've seen it's a seven and a half and pretty much every major sports like betting podcast out there is telling people to absolutely slam Virginia against the spread Um, a lot of people are actually saying just take them straight up in the money line Um, so it's cool to actually get that kind of attention on a national scale it's weird it doesn't translate to ranking Um, but I digress maybe I'll say this if we beat North Carolina 42 to 31, we will be ranked. I can almost guarantee you that. Um, I don't know if we'll be ranked because I think, I mean, I, I would maybe, I would maybe guess it if we were, if we were, um, if we were at least getting votes in the polls this week, but we didn't even get, we haven't gotten a see. single one. So I think we'll be, we'll be itching a lot closer to it. But I think a, I think a win versus Wake at home would definitely put us over that hump and knock us into the top twenty. Yeah, that that's probably a fair thing to say. The because at this I'll point, is... I feel like I feel like a win over UNC, while it's still it's still good, it, it doesn't. It's not hold. I feel like it's not going to hold the same value that it did when Virginia Tech beat. Exactly, it won't. <laughs> but but they won't retroactively downgrade that win for Virginia Tech either. They're no, it will keep not. Them, yeah. Yeah, because that doesn't fit their narrative. Exactly. But I've, I've actually wondered about that myself. But exactly. the one caveat I'll give you is that I have seen some very volatile jumps from teams when they make a win and the national media perspective suddenly changes on a team. Because Virginia has gotten so much hype throughout this week from like random outlets, that specifically like PFF ratings and like all these betting markets and, you know, cover three podcasts, like some of the biggest podcasts out there are like really, really touting up Virginia right now. I have noticed before, like when you get a big wave of media attention and then you cap it off with a really big win, sometimes like the AP voters will just like, oh, wow, I guess I missed that. I'm just going to throw them in the top 25 somewhere. So we'll see. Like Virginia Tech, for example, was one. They were not receiving votes to start the season. And then they end up 19th after week one for beating North Carolina. So, again, rankings don't really mean that much. They're fun. They're cool for a fan. It's good for recruiting. It's good for national brand. But at the end of the day, 
you're going to be judged on win and loss total at the end of the season and what you do, um, you know, out there between the lines. So exactly. um, it's exactly. just a fun thing to talk about, though. For sure. But for sure. In so. terms of my prediction, 49 to 44, um, <clears throat> I'm going to amend it. Uh, I'm going to, for the sake of just being the contrarian, I'm going to keep the loss, but I really, really obviously want to win, and I see a clear path to victory if we're able to execute. I am a little nervous that Anai could get too cute and then that being coupled with North Carolina actually like clicking on all cylinders for the first time this season offensively. So I'm going to amend it slightly. Uh, I'm going to say 38 to 34 loss, but I really hope that I'm wrong and that you're right. And I will. I certainly hope you're wrong too. My guy. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, but, uh, you know, Hey, it's okay. You know, I definitely, uh, I respect the pick, even though it's wrong. I respect it. You know, it's your, it's your opinion. I hope it's wrong. I hope, I, really you're wrong. Do. I hope you're wrong. I do hope you're wrong. <laughs> but, um, Hey, you know, if you're a sports better, obviously, you know, hammer, hammer UVA on this one. Um, I don't think, I don't think we can technically bet on this game since we live in the state of Virginia, but, Sadly. uh, yeah, but, you use know, that VPN. Yeah. It's a, it's an, it's an unfortunate thing, but Hey, you know, if you're listening and you live outside the state of Virginia, then by all means. Uh, you know, hammer the who's this, this week. Uh, so, you know, I even had my, I even had a Florida fan of mine that, uh, uh, a, he's a friend of mine that uh, will take any opportunity to criticize UVA when he can, because, you know, he's believes that he's a believer in the SEC greater than the ACC, which I'm not going to deny him with that, but you know, it's the, uh, it's the SEC mentality of, you know, of picking on the little guy. And, you know, he even, he even had in his, uh, in his picks this week and that uh, he was going to take the U- UVA to cover. So, I think it's uh, I think it's something that a lot of people are talking about, and I think uh, people are starting to realize that they maybe slept on UVA just a little bit too hard before going into the season. So, yeah, but, we could have told you that a while back, but that's okay. You guys can come around. Take your time <laughs> for sure, for sure. But hey, if you made this long, thank you guys for listening. Um, you know, we definitely <laughs> greatly appreciate it. We understand it's a little bit longer podcast, but we definitely had some very important business to attend to, and uh, you know, especially since we. Uh, missed last week you know we're happy we were happy to get back uh and you know get some get some content out to you guys this week so uh hope everybody enjoys uh you know their weekend and uh, when you listen to this on friday uh make sure you're uh, getting nice and prepared for a uh, uva victory this weekend and if you're making the way down to chapel hill have safe travels and enjoy the game and give those north carolina fans hell so uh, hunter as always it's a pleasure and uh you know we'll uh, catch you on the other side next week so everybody go hoos Go who's.